0: All right. Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. Let's turn our Bibles to Ezekiel chapter 37. All right. You know, there's a documentary that came out recently. It's called Seattle is Dying. And it basically goes through all the issues that you find in the city of Seattle. But we all know that the real problem with Seattle... Is sin. Yes. yes. I mean, the, the real problems in any city occur because of sin. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so the question is: something that's that's repeated, is there still hope? Mm. Or in the words of God to Ezekiel, can these bones live? Mm. Okay. Let's go to Ezekiel chapter 37. Come, Come on, here, John. John. I pray that you're encouraged this morning. The singing sounds awesome. Selena did an excellent job with the contribution message. And the Jordans did such an incredible job with the communion. I had never heard that insight about the words, It is finished before. I thought that was very interesting. You know, it's amazing because... As disciples, we get to dig into the Word of God, and we get to understand it on deeper levels than other people in the world because we are so committed to it. You see, other people, when they read the Bible, because they haven't committed their lives to it, they kind of pick and choose what they're actually willing to dive into. But because we believe that the Bible is inherent, we can pick it up, turn to any verse, and give it all of our hearts. And so this morning, if you haven't read Ezekiel 37 in a while... You're in for a good one. Amen? Ezekiel chapter 37. The title of this passage in the NIV is The Valley of Dry Bones. Mm -hmm. Verse 1. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, O oh, sovereign Lord, you alone know. These bones are not buried. They're rather left on top of the soil to rot." It's a sign of war, that the bodies were not taken back and respectfully buried in the ground. And the Bible says that God leads Ezekiel to this place, because God's going to send him a message. I hope you're in for a message this morning. All right. yeah. I hope you've got your paper out, your pen out, and you're in for some notes, amen? Because we want to learn from the Word of God. There is a message that the Holy Spirit has written for all of us today to take into consideration for our own lives. Yeah. And the bottom line is, Ezekiel gets to this valley. The valley is a low point, amen? He's not up on a mountaintop. He's down in a valley. And it's full of bones. Dry bones. They've been there a long time. The, the, the flesh is gone. The tendons and the, and, and the ligaments have withered away. All that's left is the outline of skeletons. I mean, we've been to cemeteries, but could you imagine there are no gravestones, only bodies that have been rotting for 10 years, 20 years? This is where Ezekiel is, and God asks him a very simple question. Ezekiel, look at all these bones. Can these bones live? Now the Bible says here in verse 2 that Ezekiel had been wandering about, literally back and forth, seeing all the bones. So he's been walking through this valley, probably kicking a few skeletons, and he's absolutely sure that these people are dead. And then God goes, can these bones live? You know, it's one thing if it's kind of a fresh body. You know what I mean? I mean, we know that there are occurrences of resurrections in the scriptures. But, I mean, these bodies have been there a long time. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the, they, are, they are completely deteriorated. Yeah. Wow. I mean, if, there are, if there's any hope, it's not in these bones. Yeah. Yeah. And God goes, can these bones live? Maybe you've got a valley of dry bones in your life. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's a valley of dry bones at your house. Can these bones live? Can this situation, this impossible situation where there is no more hope, can it be resurrected? Can it be resuscitated? Is there any hope possible for life in these bones? You know, it's very hard to believe that there is hope when the bones are dry. It's very dry. We're talking about Middle Eastern dry. We're talking about the high sun. We're talking about 100 plus degrees. These bones have been drying for a long time. You know, I hope that we're not dry spiritually. You know, we live in a world that's dying because we live in a world that's drying. And I'm not trying to be funny there, but it's the facts. It's the facts that that the living water is hard to come by these days. I mean, the fact that we have the scriptures that are applicable to our lives... The fact that we have a fellowship that's full of disciples where we call everyone to be equally as committed as anyone up front, anyone in the back, but we're all called to the same standard. That level of love is unheard of. Mm -hmm. It's unfound. It's undocumented in the city of Seattle. Mm -hmm. Can these bones live? If there's any fellowship that can believe these bones live, we've got to look around and go, they can live. We've got to believe that... Even though things seem dry, even though things seem like they're dying, there is still hope. Are you guys with me here? Yeah. I mean, look at yourself spiritually. Have your quiet times been drying on out? Are you running out of things to study? Let me tell you, in my experience over the years, I, I am running out of things to not study. I mean, every time I dig into the Bible, I find more things I want to dig into. Right, every time I learn something new, I find ten things I want to learn. Right, and when you are studying God's Word on a daily basis, there's no room for a dying relationship with God. Right. You know, are your quiet times getting redundant? Are your prayers drying up? You know, there's a, there's a bird in India. that's called the jungle babbler. Mm-hmm. And it's been nicknamed by the natives the Seven Sisters. Oh my! Now you can imagine why they call it the Jungle Babbler. I mean it's this tiny little bird they flock together and all day long, chirp chirp chirp, 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 chirp is non-stop. And so the locals call it the Seven Sisters. Now I grew up with one sister. I don't know if anyone here grew up with Seven Sisters. That's a lot of chirping. <laughs> And the Bible says we shouldn't bring that babbling into our prayer life. Amen. Jesus says don't go on babbling like the pagans do. Mm-hmm. And we need to have prayers that are full of life, that, are, that reinvigorate us, that inspire us. Yeah. You know, a lot of times people look around the fellowship and they can blame other people for their lack of relationship with God. Let me tell you something. When you're walking in the Spirit, when you're studying your Bible, when you're praying the way that you need to... There is nobody in this room, nobody in this world that can discourage you from your relationship with God. You know, people go, so-and-so hurt me. So-and-so offended me. Let me tell you, I've been hurt. I've been offended, but I'm not going anywhere. This isn't about people. This has to be about our relationship with God. We cannot have any sort of excuse in our life for a dried-out relationship with God. Yes, You know, the the world is dying because the world is drying. You know, in this documentary, Seattle is Dying, it points out all these issues in the city. Starts off talking about the tents and, you know, all the the, the homeless people living in tents. And then it it goes on to blaming the the drug problems. And then it goes on to blaming the lack of law enforcement and so on and so forth. And everyone's trying to point the finger. But the reality is these things are debated at a, a social and a political level every single day. What, what are the answers? What's the solution? I'll tell you what the problem is. The real problem is sin. The real issue is people are being called to repent. And there a lot of these people, they're, they're going to, 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 their, to their church, to their little family fellowship, but they're not being called to repent. They're not being called to change their lives. They're not being called to abstain from these sins that are destroying our city. Mm-hmm. And this is a problem that occurs all over the world. Yeah. The problem that, that sin uh, that we see in our city is undeniable. Mm-hmm. There is no one that would deny that, that many of these things are, are wrong. So what's the answer? The answer is a call to repentance. Repentance. The solution will never be found in the world on a political level or a judicial level. We need to understand that all of the answers are right here in the Word of God. The answer is found in discipleship. And the same thing is true in our lives. When your relationship with God is drying out... When your relationship with God is starting to fall off, when you're not feeling close to God or close to the fellowship, your prayers are getting mundane and your quiet times are getting redundant. Let me tell you, the issue is repentance. Mm -hmm. The issue is discipleship. Can these bones live? Let's see what God does here in verse 4. Come on. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you, and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you, and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Yes. You know, the, the thing is here, the only solution was <coughs> to life for these bones was God. Now we understand that yeah, Ezekiel was used by God to prophesy. Ezekiel had to get things started here. But it was God that was going to put life into these bones. And it's the same thing true in our lives. Mm -hmm. You've got to take initiative. You've got to look in the mirror and get fed up with where you're at spiritually. And decide it's time to change. It's time to repent. It's time to stop blaming people. It's time to stop pointing the finger. It's time to look at my relationship with God yeah. and figure out what it is I need to repent of. You guys with me here? Yeah. yeah. You know, the, the fact that Ezekiel was the instrument that God would use is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Because when you read the rest of the book, you come to find out he kind of feels like a failure. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's preaching to an obstinate people. Yeah. He's preaching to a frustrated people. There are times when God tells him, hey, listen, I'm going to send you to these people And they're going to be loaded with sin. So I want you to approach them with just as much obstinance as they have. In fact, make your forehead like that a flint. I I know that they're going to reject you and they're going to hurt your feelings. So just get hard and don't let them penetrate your heart. And over and over and over and over, Ezekiel does this. And he fails over and over and over and over. You know, how often do we just want to throw in the towel when we just mess up? Time and time again, we're like, "Well, I know God wants to use me, but I keep blowing it in this area. I keep messing up in this area. These sins are bogging me down." And the answer to God was, "You're still chosen." Mm-hmm. You see, God's call is irrevocable. Yeah, yeah. once called, always called. Yes. Yeah, God never loses hope in us. Yeah. So why would we ever lose hope in God? Right. right. And He says, "These bones are going to live because I'm going to use you." You might see yourself as a failure. But I'm going to use you to put life back in these bones. This is pretty incredible right here in verse 7. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound. And the bones came together bone by bone. I looked, tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them. But there was no breath in them. You know, Ezekiel is called right here to prophesy, of course, but then he's called to just stand there and watch. You know, one of the coolest things about this passage is that Ezekiel got to witness this miracle. Mm -hmm. It wasn't like prophesy, take off for a few days, and when you come back, you're going to see an army of God's people. It's like, no, I want you to prophesy, and I want you to witness this miracle. I want you to watch the... The bones start to rattle. I want you to watch them start to come together. To see the ligaments and the tendons start to form. To see the the muscles start to grow and the skin cover these bodies. Mm -hmm. I want you to witness this, Ezekiel. I want you to feel some part in this miracle. I want you to sense a bit of ownership here. As somebody who was able to witness this incredible miracle. You know, for us as disciples, we have this opportunity every day, every week, every month, at Bible Talk, at church on Sundays, in our discipleship times, in our quiet times. It's not just a quick, easy button. You press it and everything's good to go. You get to witness the process of the miracle. You get to actually watch your life turn around and watch someone else's life turn around. Watch your Bible talk turn around. Watch your ministry turn around. Watch the church turn around. And that's pretty exciting. You know, it's one thing if it was like, hey, guys, let's do this. And then we're all going on vacation for a few months. And by the time we get back, everything's going to be different. (laughs) It's another thing to witness the incredible miracle that God's doing. You know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm very grateful for my children. I know Jesse was making fun of them earlier. But you know, there's no greater miracle than, than a baby being born. Yeah. Yeah. And no, I'm not making any sort of announcement or anything like that. <laughs> Probably. But you know... <laughs> But you know, it's one thing to get pregnant, but then just to watch the transformation process. I mean, just watching Courtney just transform. Oh yeah. You know, and then being in the room when when the baby is born, and then the baby, and, you know, then the, it's a miracle. And then watching their face transform from like the alienish look yes. to a real person. You know what I mean? And then not just a real person, but they get cuter and cuter yeah. and cuter yeah. and and then they start to say a few words and then the words become sentences and then the sentences well sometimes it's complaining but you know all the time it's praise daddy i love you mom and then just little by little they just grow and they transform let me tell you something if a baby stopped growing, would you be concerned? Yeah. Yeah. If a baby stopped changing, would you be concerned? Yeah. What if I were to tell you that we are all in the middle of that transformation process right now? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you, when I look around the fellowship and I see people that aren't changing week after week, month after month. When I look in the mirror and I see areas of my life that are not changing time and time again, I'm very concerned. Yeah. Yeah. I'm very concerned, rightly so. And as disciples, we need to be committed to this process of transformation, of watching these miracles happen time and time again. you guys with me here? Yeah. Yeah. You know, Ezekiel got to prophesy, but he got to witness this amazing transformation Mm -hmm. as he watched these bones come together. It's pretty cool here. The Bible says there was a noise, a rattling sound. Actually, in the Hebrew, what's what's better translated right here is literally a voice. Wow. A voice. Now, I want to imagine what that voice sounded like, you know? But he's seeing the bones come together. He's hearing this voice of bringing this entire army together. What an incredible experience that would have been. Now, this is not any random army. Look in verse 9. Then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man. And say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come from the four winds, O breath. And breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me. And breath entered them, and they came to life and stood on their feet, a vast army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They say, Our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore prophesied and say to them, This is what the sovereign Lord says. O my people, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you, and you will live, and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken, and I have done it, declares the Lord. Come on, that's great. You know, right here we find a fact of life, and that is that without God there is no life. That it is God who controls every breath that we breathe. It's God that gives us another moment of time to live. And the Bible says right here that Ezekiel was called to prophesy to the breath. In other words, God's breath would be given to this army at the call of Ezekiel. Mm -hmm. You know, so much of the responsibility of the evangelization of Seattle, the Northwest, and all the world... ...lies in our hands. So much of the responsibility... ...and the urgency... ...of what we're trying to accomplish... ...as disciples of Jesus Christ... ...lies on our own calendar. That we decide... ...when it's going to happen... ...and when it's not going to happen. And we don't like that responsibility. (laughs) I'll be honest, I look around... ...some of you guys are scared to death right now. We don't like that responsibility. We wish it was all up to God. But God has chosen to limit himself... By what you're willing to do and what you're willing not to do. Yes. No, it's very incredible the, the amount of pressure that we carry on our shoulders as disciples of Jesus Christ. It's a very real thing. It yes. It's a very real thing. People who try to hyper-spiritualize it and say there is no pressure. Let me tell you, Paul felt distressed. Yeah. Yeah. He says, I feel hard-pressed on every side. He says, not a day goes by that I don't feel distressed in my concern for all of the churches. Why is that? Because souls are on the line. Yeah. Yeah. Souls are on the line. Yeah. This isn't about like how fast we sell Girl Scout cookies. Yeah. Yeah. This isn't about like, hey, is school almost over yet? Souls are on the line. Yeah. Every minute that goes by, souls are on the line. Yeah. Every week, every month. That's a lot of pressure. Yeah. That's a lot of pressure. Now, I have a tremendous amount of respect for anybody in the medical field Amen? Amen. Tremendous amount of respect. But let me tell you, the pressure that we face on a daily basis as a disciple for the spiritual needs in the world around us is tremendous. Mm. Now, if you're not feeling it, then you're just not plugged in. But when you're truly in touch with the amount of pressure that Jesus placed on the shoulders of anyone that calls themselves a disciple of Jesus Christ, then you feel it. You feel the pressure. And the Bible tells us how to deal with that pressure. The Bible says we need to go to God with that pressure. Mm -hmm. We need to not get anxious about anything. That we need to pray through all these things. That we need to put that burden on each other, share each other's burdens. I mean, the Bible tells us how to deal with it, but it doesn't mean you get to avoid it. It doesn't mean that you get to neglect it. Can you imagine how this passage would read right here? If Ezekiel was told by God to prophesy to the bones and then prophesy to the breath, and he said no? Yeah. Wow. I mean, that thought has probably never even crossed your mind. It's absolutely absurd to think Ezekiel told God no? Yeah. What? The Bible says that he did exactly as he was told. Yeah. Exactly as he, as he was told. And then the Bible also tells us that God did what he had promised. That God would bring these bones Back to life. Mm. You no, know, it's so incredible when you read this passage because you have to get vision for the fact that anybody can change. Yes. Yeah. You have to be able to look at the people at your job, look at the people in your in your uh, you know classroom, look at your family, look at yourself, look at each other, and go, wow! <laughs> if this dry body can be formed into a person and breathe again, anybody can change. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you don't sense that when you read this passage, that anybody... very obvious. God wants us to know anybody can change. Yeah. Now, the Bible teaches that because we have the power of God and the ability to spread His gospel message around the world... You know what happened in the first century? I mean, you know what happened in the first century. Right? Yeah. Yeah. In Acts 17, verse 6, it says the world was turned upside down. Yeah. The disciples had evangelized so much... The world was turned upside down. Now, we understand that as right side up. Amen? Amen. Yeah. You know, the call that we have as disciples is to turn the world upside down amen. in our century. Amen. You know, the, the fact is, though, Seattle is dying. Yeah. But so is the rest of the world. Seattle's not unique in that sense. Mm-hmm. The fact that Seattle is dying, though, just puts more of the responsibility on God's church. Yeah. On true disciples. You know, there's this quote from the documentary where one of the uh, law enforcement uh, men says this. He says, Seattle needs leaders that are willing to stand up for what is right. And by doing so, will ultimately help those who cannot help themselves and hold accountable those who are hiding behind the tents. Mm -hmm. You know, what he hits on right here are three things. Number one, leadership. And this is why we're going to study out the book of Nehemiah as a church next month. Because I think, you know, we live in a, a, a time and place, we, we, we're involved in a society and a culture where everyone's just kind of hoping someone else will step up to the plate. Mm. That everyone, everyone's hoping that someone else will take on a leadership role. And yet the Bible tells us, hey, we're going to follow Jesus. We need to want to be like Jesus. And Jesus was a leader. We need to want to be better leaders. Amen? So we're going to study out the book of Nehemiah, and we're going to learn some leadership principles that we can apply in our day-to-day lives. Amen? The second thing he hits on right here, though, is that people need to do what is right, not just what feels right. And the issue that he has is that there are people in power positions that could do more but aren't doing more. Now, God forbid that's any of us from a spiritual standpoint mm. that you have the power to help somebody, but you don't. Mm. I mean, if you have the ability, then God is also giving you the responsibility mm. Mm. to do something with that ability. Yeah. And we need to commit our lives to not just knowing what's right, but also doing what's right. Yeah. Yeah. Then the last thing he talks about is accountability. I absolutely believe in accountability. You, you see, Jesus believes in accountability. The fact that you can't just go off and do whatever you want and live this independent lifestyle, but there's someone that you need to be accountable to. And in the church, this is what we believe. Yeah. Yeah. We believe that everyone needs to be held accountable. Not in a hold it over their head sort of sense, but in a way that can really get us working together and maximizing our efforts as we strive to evangelize this lost world in our generation. Amen. So today, what I'd like to do is just break down this passage a little bit more simply and pair it together with Luke chapter 10. Amen? Yeah. So let's go to Luke chapter 10. Now in Luke chapter 10, there's a, a gentleman that comes to Jesus with a very similar question is to God's question can these bones live? And in Luke chapter 10 and verse 25. and you will live. Not believe this, and you will live. Not trust this, and you will live. Not accept this, and you will live. Do this, and you will live. You know, we live in a world where people want to do as little as possible. I mean, literally, they want to do as little as possible. And, and you know, they have, they have fancy words for it. They call it progression, they call it advancement, they call it technology. But the fact is, people want to work less so they can play more. Yeah. And that's just the world that we live in. That's the society that, that we live in. People don't want to work. They don't, they don't want to work hard. And, you know, this simply, this idea of, you know, working less is actually not going to fix all of our problems. Mm-hmm. What's going to fix all of our problems? Well, Jesus gives us the answer right here. You've got to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And you've got to love your neighbor as yourself. You know what's interesting? is the American lifestyle actually is to work. When you look at the statistics around the world, we are the most overworked people on planet Earth. No nation averages more work hours per week than Americans. We actually do know how to work, but there's still something inside of us that doesn't wanna work as hard as we have to work. Mm -hmm. You know what I find interesting? We're willing to work hard, if it's going to benefit us. But Jesus says that you've got to love your neighbor as yourself. Can you imagine dedicating as many hours to other people as you dedicate to yourself? Can you imagine the challenge behind that? Imagine what would happen in America if people would dedicate as many volunteer hours per week as they did work hours per week. Imagine you go, you work your nine to five, and then you work your five to nine. And you volunteer all this time. Jesus says, we got to love each other the way that we love ourselves. Right. And it is absolutely possible to work too much. Mm-hmm. It is possible to be too dedicated to your job. Mm-hmm. Because the heart is that we're going to love each other as much as we love ourselves. Yeah. If you can't love other people anymore, you've got to love yourself a little bit less. So you can love other people a little bit more. You guys with me here? Yeah. Yeah. And Jesus breaks this down. You know the problem is very simple, we're we're just we're a selfish society. Yeah. We're we're born into selfishness, we, we're surrounded by selfishness. But you know, Jesus calls us to live a selfless lifestyle, a lifestyle that is to be generous, that is to be giving, that is to put others first. Yeah. And you go, is that even possible? I mean, Joel, I hear what you're saying here, but is that possible? Can these bones live? And of course the answer is, with God, absolutely all things are possible. Yeah, Amen. Can I really love God that much? Can I love my neighbor that much? Yes, these bones can live. Amen. I grew up in, uh, in Syracuse, New York, um, specifically Liverpool. Uh, at the time, uh, an article came out in the New York Times that Liverpool, New York was the number one place in America to raise a family. And so I grew up in a in a in a town where you can sort of you know leave your car running in the parking lot, run into the grocery store, come out 30 minutes later, it's still there. You don't need to lock your windows at night. You don't need to lock doors at night. Uh, you don't have to worry about your kids running outside and going down the street and coming back four hours later. Uh, Little house in the prairie style, where I, where I is kind of where I grew up. And uh, you know we we grew up with values, and we grew up in a in a. In, an area where, you know, there, there weren't a lot of, uh, uh, issues when it comes to crime or, or things like that. It was very safe and, and times have changed. Uh, Syracuse is very different than it used to be. Um, but you know, I, I know my parents got this, uh, you know, just deep conviction as far as taking care of the family and creating values because their parents were the same. And my dad sent me an email this week and he actually sent me, uh, some photographs of my granddad that I had never seen before. Uh, he died before I was born, so I, I never had a chance to meet him or anything like that. But um, he had deep convictions when it came to family values. And there's this, uh, this letter that my dad sent me. It's dated November 18th, 1974. And uh, <coughs> my granddad wrote it to uh, the school that my dad was going to. And, and here's what it says. He writes this. Dear Dick, I am writing uh, to explain a hard-nosed position I have taken regarding school activities. I was brought up in a household in which the morning and evening meal were uh, inviolate. It's it's really poor uh, penmanship. And I am insisting at this time together for my family. I am not willing to have my kids take part in any school activity that takes them away from the 5.30 to 7 p.m. dinner hour. And and I feel this information should be in your file and should be considered by athletic and band people in the school system. I still feel that the cornerstone of American society is the family unit. And I'm not willing to have my kids be absent from the home during the eve the evening meal hour. Please pass this information along to those who might be concerned. I would be glad to discuss this with you or anyone at the school, where there might be conflicts with activities in which my kids are involved. I greatly appreciate all you do for the boys. Sincerely, Robert Parlor, wow. AKA the Reverend, he uh, is a Reverend. <laughs> you know, we what we see right here our values and you may or may not agree with these values but as disciples we have values too yeah. mm-hmm. we call them convictions yes. and in the same way that he might write a letter to a school to say these are my convictions and I'm unwilling to budge mm-hmm. and this is how it's going to be yeah. and you just need to deal with it as disciples of Jesus Christ this is what we need to be doing right, right. that we gain convictions. And we allow those convictions to be deeply rooted in the word of God. And we're not going to allow anybody to push us over. Mm -hmm. We're not going to allow anything to penetrate the walls of our convictions. This is how it is. This is how it's going to be. Mm -hmm. And we deeply root ourselves in the Bible. You guys with me here? The problem is we allow other people to affect our convictions on the Bible. Mm -hmm. And what happens is you are wavering all over the place. And yet, Jesus says, let me break it down for you. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. You should be unwavering in these two convictions. There should be nothing that pushes you over when it comes to these two topics. There is no person that you're going to give your heart, soul, mind, and strength to above God. And there is nobody that you are unwilling to love as much as you love yourself. Now, here's the problem. These guys that Jesus is talking to here did not want to accept that fact. And so in verse 29, it says, but the Pharisees wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, well, who is my neighbor? You know, it's kind of funny. People want to define things that they're trying to exempt from obedience. Well, What exactly do you mean by that? Where is the word special missions in the Bible? Why do I have to use an envelope? Bible talk? Do I need to be a part of a small group? Let's define these things. Because when you define them, and you don't find those exact things in the scriptures, you can justify your disobedience. Mm. So in reply, Jesus said, let me tell you a little, bit of story, a little story here. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. He put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert-in-law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do Likewise. no, the Pharisees did not want to accept the fact that anybody around them was defined as their neighbor. Oh, they were willing to serve each other. They were willing to love themselves. They were willing to give to one another. But who is my neighbor? Wow. And then Jesus goes into it. He goes, a man is going down from Jerusalem. Now, this is significant because back in chapter 9, verse 51, the Bible says the time has come for Jesus to go to heaven. So he resolutely sets out for Jerusalem. Now, what this means is that in order for Jesus to get to heaven, he had to first go to Jerusalem. Amen? Mm -hmm. And so the fact that this man is leaving Jerusalem and the priest and the Levite are leaving Jerusalem, bottom line, they're going the wrong way. Mm Amen. And so they're going the wrong way. They pass by this guy, but then a Samaritan sees him and walks up to him and takes care of him. Now, this is significant because Pharisees, being the most religious Jews, hated the Samaritans. They hated the Gentiles. They they saw Gentiles as the oil for firing up the, the, the fires of hell. And yet there were one set of people in the world they hated more than anybody, and that was the Samaritans. Because the Samaritans... Where the Jews and the Assyrians intermixed several hundred years ago, they saw them as weak-sauce compromisers. Mm -hmm. And so anytime they saw a Samaritan, their heart filled with hatred. Mm -hmm. And so Jesus brings up the Samaritan as the one who approaches the Jewish guy and helps him on out. Jesus was very deliberate in his usage of the word Samaritan right here. You see... If Jesus says a Samaritan is willing to go above and beyond Mm -hmm. to help out this injured man, then that right alone takes out all the excuses that the Pharisees could have had. And it defines what a neighbor really is. And it ends and Jesus goes, go and do likewise. You know, the challenge is not, have you been a good Samaritan? Or are you willing to be a good Samaritan? But Right now, are you being a good Samaritan? Yeah. Is that your heart right now? In James chapter 4, the Bible says, anyone then who knows the good he ought to do it doesn't do it sins." Jesus is not addressing sins of commission, things that people do against God, but rather things that people don't do that they should be doing for God. His emphasis is not on the hypocritical ways of the Pharisees, but yet the lifestyle that they should be living as men, who claim to love God. You know, I think it's important for all of us to really check out where our hearts are at this morning. I mean, to really check it all out. I don't, I don't think there's a lot of malicious people in the church that are trying to undercut people and hurt people. But I think there's a lot of sins of omission going on in this room. Can I just be honest with you guys? Yeah. 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 I know we got some visitors here. Don't be embarrassed. But let's just talk about some family issues. Right. Amen? Amen. I, I look around the church, and I, I see sins of omission in the church. So-and-so is hurt. Go help him on out. So-and-so is hurting spiritually. Go help him on out. Too often we're looking around waiting for a leader to go do something about it. -hmm. You're a follower of Jesus. You can go do something about it. Mm -hmm. You see, the expectation that Jesus put on any of his followers is that everybody needs to be equally committed to each other. That there is no clergy, laity system in the kingdom of God but that every disciple of Jesus Christ needs to be equally concerned for all parts of the body. You know, I think a great opportunity to show our our hearts is through the special missions. And I just want to take a few minutes to just lift a few people up in the church that have really inspired me lately. Mm -hmm. You know, Dennis, one of our newest brothers in the church, is absolutely determined to give. Now, Danny told him, You don't have to give that much. And he's like, no, I'm going to give. And he set a personal goal of $700. As a new Christian, as someone who's never seen missions before. And let me tell you, he's been going after it. I think of Russell. You know, Russell's serving 18 of kids right now. But Russell's got such an amazing heart, he was the first campus disciple to give all of his missions. But now that he's given all of his missions, he's actually been going above and beyond to help the other campus brothers get their missions yeah, contribution. Right. Deanne finished her missions a while back. Yay. But she called me up the other day. She goes, There's a few sisters I really want to help. What do you think about these ideas to help them get their special missions right. contribution? Right. Brother James. James. Hey, Brother James. <laughs> got creative. Yes. He's like, I got a fundraise this year, we're going through it. And he came up with this amazing idea of selling these t-shirts that are going to say Mama Bear on them for Mother's Day coming on up. He's like, I'm getting my special missions. The Keikoas, they're going to be selling all this food to get their special missions. I mean, all the campus and singles that have been going out tagging to get their special missions. Let me tell you, we have the heart to give. We have the heart to serve. That is the heart of the good Samaritan. Yeah, okay. You know, there is no neglect in the heart of a tr- in the heart of a true disciple. We need to yeah. desire this heart to be a good Samaritan. Yeah. You know Jesus' instruction to us was simple. At the end of the passage, he just says, "Go and do likewise. Mm-hmm. You know the good you ought to do. Yeah. Just go and do it. Yeah. Just step up to the plate. Take on the role and the responsibility. Go and do likewise. In the back of the room, uh, I believe there's a few left, um, I printed out these, uh, these crown of thorns projects. Now, on the back of them are just highlighting a few of the miracles that we've seen go on in the movement recently. And uh, so we've got a few of the the, the cities, the nations, and uh, I wanted to just tell you guys a, a little bit about what's been going on. Amen? Amen? Amen. Right here, you can grab one in the back on your way out. But at the very top, you see Brazil. This is the Brazilian flag. And... It's kind of hard to see them, but then you got the campus ministry right here in Sao Paulo. Their campus ministry is over 85 disciples now in Sao Paulo. And they've raised up so many leaders because of this campus ministry. They were able to raise up some of these campus students, appoint them, evangelists, women's ministry leader, plant Rio de Janeiro, plant Bogota, and now we're planting Lima with these disciples. Isn't that incredible? The church is now well over 200 disciples in Sao Paulo. Underneath that, we got Mexico. Amen? Amen. (laughs) You know, this is pretty amazing. Their their team ministry has really become a bright light for the whole movement. Our brother Rich Noches was on that mission team a few years ago and now the church is over 200 disciples. Their team ministry is over 20 disciples and it continues to grow and to thrive. God's doing great things in Mexico City. Amen? Then you got India. Now, I had to put a few pictures here because what God's doing throughout India is incredible. we got a thriving church in Bangalore now. The church in Chennai is doing very well. But the church in in Delhi is pretty incredible. They were planted last April with 38 disciples. And in the first six months, they grew to 138 disciples. And again, it just continues to grow more and more. Then underneath that, we got the Philippines. Mm -hmm. Now, this is pretty exciting because as of right now, we have a church in Cebu. Manila, and Lord willing, by the end of this year, in Davao. Wow. Now, this is important because the Philippines are broken up into three major provinces, three main islands, and at that point, we'll have, ha- we'll have a church in the three major cities, on those three major islands. Essentially, we'll have evangelized the Philippines. That's Amen? Awesome. And the church there is incredible. They're, they're, they've totally surpassed 300 disciples. They had over 600 at their women's day wow. just a few weeks ago. Dang. Then down here we got the the Nigerian flag, and the church in Lagos is cranking yeah. right now. Uh, they are they are growing every week. They just continue to baptize. I I only picked one baptism picture, but I could fill this whole page with. Me. Lagos <laughs> baptism, wow. but Lord willing, this September, the church in Lagos is planting the church in Johannesburg, South Africa. It's that incredible of the special missions, and so this is why we do what we do, and I do encourage you to grab one on your way out. Yeah. Next week, we'll have a big pile, so everyone gets one. Amen? Yeah, amen? Amen. Now, how does that affect the Seattle church? All right. I love the Seattle church. Amen. I'm just going to be real with you. I, we got to get a team ministry, amen? Amen. Yeah. I mean, I'm excited to see the campus ministry grow. Uh, I mean, it's going to grow and it's going to provide so much future leadership yeah. for not just Seattle, but really to go around the world. Yeah. 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 I look at the singles ministry. I mean, they're going to bring a ruckus to church every week. Oh, I just yeah. know yes. it. Yes. I love the singles ministry. I think Anthony and Ty are doing a remarkable job with yes. the singles, just pulling everyone together, building a lot of momentum. They've got a lot of Bible studies. We need to be praying for the singles ministry. Yeah. Yeah. But I'll tell you what, recently my favorite ministry has been the marriage <laughs> oh, ministry. Right. I mean,. We can look at the marriage ministry and you know maybe get a little fearful and go well how are we going to pull this thing together I mean we got a couple people living around Ravenna but then we got disciples all the way over there in Bellevue and Kirkland down in Burien all the way up there in in uh, Edmonds and then we got a married person all the way down in Tacoma how is this going to work I'll tell you how it's going to work these are going to become are pillar couples in the church. And as the church continues to grow, we will have shepherding couples in every region of the church. That's what God is doing. And that's what you're a part of. Mm -hmm. You know, no matter how things are going in your life, whether it's in your family, uh, in in a family member, in your children's lives, the question is still the same. Can these bones live? Mm -hmm. And I hope that there's a resounding... Absolutely. Amen? You know, we need to prophesy... We need to preach the word of God. These bones are going to be rattled when you preach what Jesus says to preach. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. I believe if you do this, you will live. And the world will be turned upside down in our generation. Amen.